Hello, friends. Welcome to the Life Stories podcast. My name is Kyle Thompson. I'm the lead pastor of Life Community Church in Roseville, California. As a pastor, I get to sit down with phenomenal people almost every day, and I hear these phenomenal stories, and I just think the world needs to hear these stories. I'm excited to bring this podcast to you uh, for two reasons. First, I hope as you hear these stories, you hear these stories and say, me too, and you can relate with them. And secondly, if you can relate with them, and if you can see how God is at work in someone else's story, I hope it helps you see how God is at work in your story. This morning, I get to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Joni Gonzalez. Joni is actually on staff at our church. She's the guest services director, Uh, but her story is confusing to me. So I had to have her on as one of our first guests because I still don't understand. Joni, help me understand. Your last name is Gonzalez. Yep. You lived in Mexico. Yep. But you're a blonde white girl from Placerville. Yep. How does all that work? Well, uh... I guess starting out, my parents, um, we lived up in Placerville um, on a big, huge area of land, and it was like a church called Prayer Mountain. And um, there was a tie between that was a church in Sacramento, in the heart of Sacramento, and that was called Revival Center. And so I was born in Sacramento, raised in Placerville. And um, over a period of time, times were kind of hard, and my parents always kind of struggled through. And... um, At one point, my parents got wiped out by the IRS and we didn't have much and we didn't know what to do. So. (laughs) How old were you when your parents lost everything? I was five. Now at five, do you have any sort of idea of what that's like? I mean, do you you just know the stress? I mean, how much can you possibly comprehend at five? Hmm. Uh, I remember my mom would, we would get in the car and we'd go to go get groceries and we had no money. We were on food stamps and, um, it wasn't the like EBT card. It was like a straight up food stamp book. And, um, my mom always was like trying to just make sure that we had food to eat. And, um, I remember getting in the car every single time and she would be like, Lord, blind us from the highway patrol, the CHP and the police, unless we need them because our car broke down. That was like the fact that I remember every single time and every day that she prayed it, not one time did we ever get pulled over. But the one time that we didn't, we did get pulled over. (laughs) So it was funny to me to think about how prayer means something and uh, relationship with God. And my mom was always strong in her faith and my dad was always strong in their faith. But being wiped out was tough. And I do remember the hardships, Um, not all of them, because I mean, there was so much joy even in those seasons that it didn't seem that bad. So I hear deep commitment to God, to prayer, but also struggles in life. So you, your family's wiped out at five and then what happens? So my dad, he had a friend down in Cabo, uh, San Lucas, Mexico, and um, he invited him to come and work for him. So he went down there for about six months by himself prior to me and my mom and my sisters going down there. And um, my my older sister was kind of getting ornery. So um, I have two sisters. It's me, Michelle and Nikki. Um, Nikki's the oldest and Michelle is the youngest. And um, it was tough. My mom was all by herself then and trying to figure things out. And my dad's down in Cabo. And so my mom sent Nikki to go there and um, she got to spend some time with my dad and she's about two years older than me. And Wait, help me understand this. Nikki's getting in trouble and she got sent to Cabo. <laughs> I want to get in trouble. Well, it was that it's three kids. My mom was one person and by herself raising three kids is no simple task. Wow. 
And so then she went down there and spent some time with my dad. And um, mind you, I gave my heart to God when I was a kid. But, um, you know, as life, you know, goes through and you kind of uh, get to the point. So we, we moved down to Cabo and Cabo was uh, beautiful, wonderful, incredible, a completely different set of people that you would never, ever even imagine the love and warmth that you would see, receive every single time that you would walk in the street. People would wave at me. People would be friends with, well, actually, I was friends with everybody at the grocery store since I was like super young. My mom was always scared about that. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, mom, you need to, you know, make friends your own age. Stop just talking to the, the random clerk. And I was like, but I like them and they're my friend now. But Anyhow, I'll get back. Those of us who know you are not surprised. So you moved down to Cabo at what age? Um, I was five and a half or just before I turned six. We left when I was in kindergarten um, going into first grade. And how long did you live in Cabo? Oh, gosh. Okay. um, From when I was around six until I turned 10. And then we moved back to the States later. Pues hablas español? Sí, claro que sí. Okay. So you you were down there till 10. you said everyone's friendly down there. What brought you guys back to the States? Um, my parents, okay, so over that time, I ended up doing some private school down there. And uh, my parents did end up getting out of debt to the IRS. They paid them off and we were able to come back to the States and uh, live here. And my dad ended up getting an, a, a job in New Mexico. And we were missing family this whole time. And it's kind of hard, you know, living in another country and not having um, a complete support system. And all of our family still up here. And so uh, my dad had a job offer for New Mexico. So we lived there and we only lived there for six months in Santa Fe. And then we came back and I went to school for six months there. That was it. Um, and then we moved to um, Carmichael and we moved in with my grandmother and I went to a school called um, Garfield Elementary School. And then I actually went to Schweitzer first and I was there by myself and my sister went to the other one. And so, yeah. How do you think all this moving around has shaped you and made you who you are today? Oh, man. Okay, so when I was a little girl, we drove the Baja about eight to ten times. Um, and every time he would say, we're going on an adventure. And so instead of it being like a, a bad thing, we literally packed up a little tiny itsy bitsy white car, probably a little bit like yours, but not as nice. And uh, literally it was covered from just it, it it looked like a clown car. I mean, honestly, the way that we had it packed down, it was so, so, it was so packed. And like, when we started piling out of the car, they were like, is there anything else coming? Is there, you know, it was a lot. And um, so we drove the Baja and doing that was like a crazy uh, experience. But remembering that like each time that we went, there was an adventure and there was something to glorify God for. And there was something that was like wonderful along with something that was not so wonderful, including car breakdowns and uh, going through the auroras after a hurricane and lots of fun adventures. So I hear about this deep faith again, growing up on prayer mountain, believing in prayer. The one time we did get pulled over was the one time we didn't pray. So I'm guessing you just had a very super spiritual upbringing and have walked with Jesus and done it Jesus way your entire life. Is that right? Oh, that's funny that you say that. Well, I remember giving my heart to Jesus as a little little girl. Um, I remember being um, up at Prayer Mountain and at Revival Center and um, listening to the pastors preach and listening to the stories that they would tell um, about the word of God and hearing other people's testimonies, but not ultimately, um, I, I gave my life to God, but I kind of took it back when I turned about 12. 
What happened when you turned 12? Now the story gets good here. Get to the teen years. So, what happened? Okay. So we like, uh, we moved to, um, back to the States for, uh, and then we like lived in New Mexico for a short term. Then we moved to, um, back to California. And as we're living here, my parents are saving money and they're kind of getting things going. And, um, they were able to buy a house. My dad worked at uh, Folsom Lake Toyota and he became the internet and leasing department manager and really enjoyed doing that. But um, life all of a sudden hit like a huge, like a, a wall. My dad uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer and um, it was pretty devastational. My dad's quite a bit older than my mom. They're about 15 years different. Um, my dad's 75 and my mom's 60 and or just around that age. I think I have it wrong still, but um, they know that I love them. So my dad got cancer and my parents weren't up front with us. They didn't tell us what was going on. We just knew that there was something going on. And, um, so when I was around 12, I was like kind of on the verge of adolescence and trying to figure out, you know, who I am and what I am and wanting to go and do things. So, um, I worked for my best friend's grandma and she like would let us come over there. We would clean her house and then we'd clean her business and then learn how to do data entry, this and that. So she helped us out a lot. And I kind of was like, like still, I love the Lord, but I was kind of doing my own thing a little bit. And, um, I started getting a little bit further and a little, little bit further Um, and it was where we were like living in, um, in a nice house over off of Manzanita. And, um, as my parents are going through these hard times, I started like going and doing my own thing with older kids. I wanted to hang out with my sister and my sister's friends and my sister got into some trouble. The sister who was already getting in trouble started hanging out with her. Oh, okay. She's got her own transformation story. Let me tell you. Okay. But, maybe we'll have her on the pod at some point. <laughs> she lives in Cabo. It's a little hard, but yes, <laughs> she'd love to one day. Okay. So what happened? <laughs> so, um, I started hanging out with like a bunch of kids that, um, also had kind of hard upbringings. And, um, we started hanging out with older guys and older people and just thinking that that was like the coolest thing in the world. And, um, I found myself going to, um, lying to my parents, of course, Um, I told them that we were going to go to the state fair with my best friend, Kara at the time. And we kind of just were, um, mischievous and we were like, we'll go, uh, we'll tell them that we have a ride, um, there. If they or if they get us there, we have a ride home. Well, that wasn't accurate. That was a total lie. And so I ended up going down there and that's how, um, I ended up getting into the most trouble of my entire life, which was walking down the road of meeting somebody that was older than me and, um, I was so naive at the time and I was so lost because my parents' circumstance was rough. And so he had a car. And so I started dating him. How old were you and how old was he? Um, I was 14 um, and, or maybe a little bit less. I may have been like 13 turning 14. And um, he was already 17, going to be like, he was already older than me, but he had a car. And so we became great friends and uh, not really. Um, But uh, I ended up getting... uh, in a relationship with him. And that ended up being, uh, the detriment to my walk with God for a while, because I kind of went off in my own ways thinking that I had to hide everything from everyone. And so during that time, I completely like started to shun my family. And during that time, my parents said, Hey, guess what? We love you guys so much cancer. We've been fighting it, but we don't want to live this life anymore. We're going to go back to Cabo. Whoa, 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 whoa. So something you said, very interesting. You said, this relationship was life-changing for you. Again, you didn't give us all the details. I think we can all use our imaginations. But you start to make some poor choices. And the shame of that alienates you from your friends and family. The people who would be there to love you and help you no matter The people who say, I will love you no matter what. 
there's some lie that you tell yourself that said, if they knew the real me, they may not love me. And so the shame creates a duplicitous life. And I bet that even creates even more shame, more divide. And here you are dating this older guy. And after how long had you guys been dating when your parents said, we're moving back to Cabo? Oh gosh, Uh, probably about a year that we were like talking. And I just began high school then. And um, so I went to my freshman and my sophomore year at Del Campo High School. And um, during my, I was on the basketball team, loved doing it. But um, I was also divided from a whole group of my friends. And so I kind of was starting to just adventure into other friendships that probably weren't healthy friendships. And so um, talking to um, this guy, um, later on, I ended up kind of, um, shunning all those people in my life, you know, friends, not friends. And, uh, just wanting to have something that was, you know, that I was special or something. So I got tricked in my own light, in my own world and in my own flesh. And that's where I ended up going down like a really, really dark, deep place for a long time. So. But help me understand. I thought your parents said you guys were moving back to Mexico, oh, yeah. but you were, I mean, how did that work? I mean, you've got this long-term boyfriend, you've been together over a year, but you're moving back to Cabo. What what happened there? So uh, my parents, I was in high school um, and then my, my dad's like, okay, we're, we're going back, you know, the life down there, it's way better. It's um, slower pace um, here in the United States. Everybody's go, go, go. And it's a high stress life and you don't get to enjoy life. And so they wanted to go there. And so I was in my sophomore year when they told me that we're moving to Mexico and I was like, no, you can't, we can't go back. You know, I loved Mexico. Mexico, but I really didn't want to go back because I wasn't going to graduate with my class and I wasn't going to get to do any of the things that I wanted to do. And my sister, um, so by sophomore year, my sister was just graduating. So when they graduated, when she graduated that summer, we left and, um, I went down there and, um, uh, oh, my, my boyfriend at the time, we broke up for a short season. And when we broke up for the short season, I went down to Cabo and that's when I, uh, became the MC <laughs> at the beach. Oh, okay, okay. A couple of things I got to clarify. First time you guys go down to Mexico, this is awesome. It's an adventure. Second time, oh, this is ruining my life. And then you've told me this before. You said when you went down to Mexico, you became an MC. Well, what does that even mean? How did that happen and what did you do? Okay, well, um, so I went down there and my dad's like, oh, you know, just have some fun. You and your boyfriend just broke up. My dad saved. He just was like, oh, just have a good time. But don't like, he wasn't trying to tell me to go overboard. But um, we went to the beach and um, I went down there and there was a bikini contest and they were like, oh, that sounds like fun. So, um, I joined the bikini contest and I ended up winning. I won like a thousand dollars and some crazy, crazy thing. So then I ended up dating the MC and I was like, he was way, way older than me, but I was like, okay, well that's fun for a minute. And, um, after meeting him, I ended up like, he, he cheated on me or something like that. So I went back I went and I took his job. So then I ended up doing his job as the MC at the beach for (laughs) short season. So you're a teenager you win a bikini contest, start dating the MC, he cheats on you, and payback, you take his job? Not like, I, you're, you're making me out to be like I'm really mean. Oh, I, I don't I'm think so. Kidding. I, I think kidding. I think it's a great story. I love this. <laughs> no, but that was our joke. And um, at the end of the day, that wasn't why I, um, I, you know, got the job or anything like that. And um, down in Mexico is a totally different world than it is up here. I mean, going there and getting a job, you are not allowed to take the job of somebody um, that uh, is a national of the uh, area. You are not allowed to take a job that um, you wouldn't otherwise be able to do if you um, were not white. 
they said. Mm. So there's only very, very few and far between jobs that you can do when you're down there. And it costs a lot of money to get a job. So you have to pay like a huge chunk of money up front, which was like $5,000. And so the company that I work for paid five grand for me to go and work there. And um, I had to carry them around my FM at this all the time, um, or else the federales and the Mexican police would come and find you. And so I was like, okay, I don't ever want to get in trouble. I'll never do anything bad, especially down there. And so um, I worked at the beach and I got to do that for a short season, but it was, it was an adventure and I never drank alcohol during that season of time. I was the sober MC, so that was good, right? Good for you. Yeah, I know. I have to remind people that I still am Joni. Like, <laughs> oh, she turned into a, a this or a that. So I did that for a short season, and then um, I didn't want to live there. I told my parents, I was like, I don't want to be here. I, it's the end of summer, and I don't have school. I don't have anything. You guys didn't enroll me in anything, and I'm not going to graduate with my class. And I was super upset, but I was also starting to talk to my kid's dad again. Or, well, sorry. My boyfriend at the time wasn't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Spoiler alert. Preview of things that happened. So So you come back, you start talking to the older guy who you met earlier, who had, who had the car. He was older than you. When you start coming back, you guys reconnect. And then what happens? Well, I lied to my parents. I told them I was moving in with my best friend and her mom and they lied for me too. And then, um, I actually moved in with my boyfriend at the time and his parents. How old were you? I was like 16. So it's 16. You lie to your mom and dad, say, I'm, who are living in Mexico. You come to the States to live with your boyfriend? Oh, I don't, wow. All right, here we go. The the plot thickens. So so I came back and I was here for like four months and I had my job back. I actually worked at Dairy Queen. And um, so I, I came back and I was working and everything like that. And within four months, I was pregnant. Wow. Found out I was pregnant on my birthday. I was like, I mean, it happened. It had to have happened fast because I was already like quite some time along and um, being a kid, not knowing what to do. And I'm like, well, I mean, I I didn't want to have an abortion and I just didn't know what else to do. And so um, my dad comes to visit me right before Christmas. And um, my birthday's in October. So that's a couple months later. I couldn't tell my parents. I was so scared that if I told them that they would disown me and I had put through every single um, imaginary like possibility of the things that my parents would say to me and that they would just say, well, we're done. We live in Mexico. You live in the, the States and I guess you can figure it out. But he came here and I spent the whole week with him and I couldn't tell him the truth. And he took me shopping and he took me to like be uh, like spend some time with me and I still couldn't tell him the truth. And I'm like, but it was killing me on the inside. So the night before he goes back, he's, he comes to see me at my job and I, I said, dad, I need to talk to you. And he's like, like, okay, let's sit and let's talk. Um, and I said, dad, I'm pregnant. I, that was the worst conversation I think I ever had. So you're living this lie. This is that they knew the real me. They wouldn't love me. So you hide it. But then you find the courage to tell him. What is it like emotionally when you tell him? And then how does your dad respond to his 17-year-old daughter? <laughs> Wasn't even 17 yet. But um, he, he, um, he just said, I love you so much. And no matter what, we love you. And uh, he wasn't going to disown me. But... He was devastated. He says, I'm, I, I feel so bad because he's like literally getting on the next flight out. And he's like, I just can't. Um, I'm so sorry. Just he doesn't have any words. He just says, I love you. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm leaving my baby here, which is me. <laughs> mm. And so anyhow, um, some time went by and um, he told my mom and he, my mom was mad because I didn't tell her myself because I was so scared to tell her. And then... Um, 
it was like a, a long season and they ended up coming back for when he was born and that was a wonderful blessing and um but I was still on my own walking on my own not walking with God at all I'd pray and I'd ask God for things and I'd kind of you know dibble dabble but um the the guy that I was with he wasn't you know saved he didn't really know God he didn't have anything and so if anything I felt more convicted because I knew that we weren't equally yoked I knew that he was not the one that God had for me but I was so trapped in the idea of um somebody caring about me and that I was willing to lie to myself for a really long time about it and so uh later on down the line I ended up um we moved in and had our own place, this and that. And then um, I found him and I caught him cheating on me. Um, little Rigo was a year old at the time and I was so devastated. I just had this gut feeling. I just knew that there was something wrong. And I was like, I have no peace. And I'm just, I, I had already started just like knowing that I, there, I wasn't in the right place at the right time. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so uh, I went and I actually caught him in the act. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. So the next day I move out, my cousin Deandre and my cousin Christina came and they helped me move from a third story building all the way down to, um, uh, I ended up moving in with them in, um, in Natomas. And, um, within a month I ended up getting a really, really wonderful job because my cousin Chris, um, and, uh, Deandre, they helped me to, um, get, and that was Mr. Pickles. Um, her best friend owned two of them. And so anyhow, so I started working there and I was getting my life on track. And so, um, they helped me with little Rigo and, um, just, you know, it was total adventure, but they, I was, you know, turning my life back over to God, doing my, you know, daily devotions with the Lord and just wanting to seek him, but really not knowing, um, what I'm supposed to do as a mom. And so I, I moved to Donical. I, I moved into my own condo. I had my own place. I was so proud that I finally could do something <laughs> with myself. And, um, and then I started like, uh, my, my kid's dad goes, um, one day I, as I'm, you know, doing the drop off pickup situation, he goes, Oh, you know, I really love you. And I was like, he's like, um, you're ruining little Rigo's life. And I was devastated. I was like, you're right. I am. I am ruining his life. Like, how can I raise him by myself and do all of this stuff? And so I foolishly fell back into the trap. He goes, I'm, I'm going to church. He started going to church and he tricked me so easily because I, it was what I wanted to believe. And I knew that it wasn't right. So I refrained from having any sexual relations with him for six months. And then the moment that I compromised myself again, I knew that it was done. And that it was not going anywhere good. And um, I ended up finding out, um, well, I got pregnant again. Wow. And I just, it was like devastational. But um, that is when I sought God out in a whole new way, like serious way. I don't think that you could even imagine the, um, just, you know, shame on me. You know, uh, once it's my, my, my shame. Shame on me again. Oh, Lord. At that point that I was going to... I, I could raise two kids, but I can't raise two kids in a grown man. So I told him to get out and I'll figure it out. Um, the whole time I had faith, I knew that God was there. I just, I wasn't walking with him and it is a relationship. It's like how we desire to have a husband and wife scenario. You want to be loved, but you also want to love. And it is unconditional love. Um, it's the same bond that we have when we have a kid. It's totally different than a worldly like, oh yeah, I love you. Um, but it was something that like, uh, it was a really, really hard season. So at that time I was, I was working 60 hour weeks by myself while I'm pregnant and have a little one. 
And, um, 18, 19. Yeah. He also had cheated on me with my nanny. So that kind of made things really ugly. So I had to let him have little Rigo and, um, wanted, he wanted to, uh, watch, uh, once I had Annalise, um, he would have his babies, his girlfriend who was my babysitter watch our kids. So, and I don't even mean to like badmouth him because we actually, uh, um, later on down the line can, are, are really, really composed and we can uh, have a conversation. But during the season of life, my life was just upside down. And, um, that's when I gave my life completely back over to the Lord. And, um, I remember crying in my room one night and I just said, I oh, God, I don't, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, he told me he said five years. <laughs> I was like, five years, what? He's all five years. It'll be different. Follow through with pregnancy. Five years, your life will be completely different. And so um, every day started seeking him out, having a relationship with him and just things that I would have never expected he did. And the love that he showed me was just a totally different thing. And it was the comfort and the desire that I had inside of my heart the whole entire time. But it wasn't going to be fulfilled, like fulfilled by somebody of this world. And God is the ultimate um, healer. And so I went through the season and I started actually getting relationship with my family again, with my aunts and uncles who live close. And I started going to church with them and uh, work six days a week. Sunday, I got to go to church and... um, (laughs) This is a crazy miracle, and I don't even know if anybody will believe it, but it was crazy because I was driving. I drove to Gridley. I forgot my wallet at home. No joke. And so um, I get going to come back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to fuel up. I'll, I'll, I'll drive back home. My phone is dead, and um, I was in Gridley, but I was, like, leaving, leaving, and I was like, oh, if I can just get to the fuel station get to the fuel station, find out I have no money. I was like, oh, great. And so I get back on the road and I just start praying. I said, God, I I don't know how I'm getting home. I was far away. I was past Yuba City and I lived in uh, Citrus Heights. And um, I just started praying like I've never prayed before. And he just got me all the way home. (laughs) And it was like, I couldn't even believe it. So I got home and I was able to get gas and do all of this stuff, but it was just a miracle that I needed to see. And that he just said, I'm right there. And then years went by, like, um, of just all of these amazing things that the Lord would do in my life that wasn't possible without him. Mm. Um, and then one day my grandma, she's like, Hey, she's like, uh, it was kind of, it was right. I just, um, had Annalise and she said, you need me as much as I need you. And, um, she asked me to come and move in with her and I was still doing it on my own, figuring things out. But my kid's dad was kind of taking me in to um, get custody of um, the kids. And I was like, he had a lawyer. I didn't. Um, the battle just didn't seem like I could ever win. Every time I would go in, I was like, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. And how could I be losing? You know? And um, I was devastated and stuff in that season, but she just said, move in with me. And I said, okay. So I moved in with my Oma and um, that's my desert. That was my desert. Um, My grandma taught me how to be. um, So my Oma story is a crazy story. She lived um, in Germany during the Holocaust and all this stuff. And this is kind of going on a tangent, but she is an incredible woman. And she married my Opa and they lived here and had um, their kids. Well, 25 years into their marriage, my Opa had a stroke. And he became paralyzed. And my grandmother took care of him for 25 years. So her version of marriage and love and commitment was so far greater than anything that I had ever seen, witnessed, 
thought of. And so she started walking me through some of those scenarios. And um, she just, she took care of things. She took care of the house. She took care of life. And she was just so hardcore. And I just was like in admiration, but it was also a season where her and I got to seek God together. And um, we would do Bible study and we would go to church together and but she also taught me how to be a wife and how to be a mother in a whole new perspective. Little Brie goes four going through four-year-old behavior. And one day she's hell holding, and she's like, he needs to be on punishment. And I'm like, yes, he does. But I didn't know what to do. He was completely out of control. And he, she said, you will not do that to your mother. And she held him in the corner and he stood there. And that was the, that was the beginning of good behavior. Wow. It was so different. And um, I just, I, I looked at my Oma and I was like, God bless me so big, but going through the desert isn't always easy. Like when you're there in the desert and you're like, this is, it's, everybody has their own version of what the desert is, but mine's a training ground. That's what it was all about. That was the whole entire purpose. And so as I was going through these seasons, God was teaching me things and getting me prepared and I would be praying. And that was the first time in my life that I ever started praying for the man that God would bless me with one day. I prayed don't bless me with the one that I want. Bless me with the one that you have for me because I know it's going to be far greater than anything that I could ever pick for myself because I don't pick winners. I pick losers. And I was like, it was so hard, but um, praying that the Lord would um, be the provider, the blesser and the protector of uh, me and my children. And of course, having two kids, you're now like in a totally different world. You know, it's not like you're some, you know, amazing, you feel like you're not an amazing catch anymore, you know? And you have a lot of baggage and you have a lot of extras. And um, it was just a, a weird season of life, but it was a wonderful season because of the growth that God was able to do inside of my spirit and kind of just wake me up and grow me up a little bit. And so later on down the line is um, not that long. Annalise was seven months old and I, um, I had been praying already. So my whole pregnancy long, I was praying. And, um, then into the relationship with me spending time with my Oma, I ended up going and, um, going out to dinner with a set of friends. And I was like, man, there's this guy at the table, but I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm not reaching out to him. I'm not talking to him, anything like that. Um, but, uh, I never talked to him. And then late, the next, like a month and a half or two, two or three months later, whenever it was, no, a month and a half, we went to a wedding and, um, I don't know if you know me, but I, I'm not normally a nervous person, but I was more nervous than anything. He asked me to dance and we started dancing at this wedding and his parents were holding Julie, uh, Annalise cause she was with me. Um, Riga was camping. And so we were dancing and some other guy cuts in to dance with me. And I was like, no way. Like, all right. And so I felt like a normal person again. Like I had gut butterflies when I was dancing with Drew and some other guy cuts in. So when I'm dancing with this other guy, Drew goes and he picks up Annalise and he holds her and he danced with her. And she's like a little baby. And I'm just like, honestly, like my heart just was like, wow, that's incredible. So anyway, the end of the wedding comes and I'm like, I'm an independent mom. I could do this by myself. You know, I've got a giant, huge stroller. I've got a diaper bag on my arm and I've got the baby on the other side. And he comes running up and he, he's like, no, he's like, I'm helping you. And I was like, okay. And so he walks me up the hill. And then we spent two hours without uh, talking. Annalise fell asleep. And in the car and we talked for two hours outside the car and it was just incredible. And so my parents were visiting from Mexico. After this conversation, I go home and um, they're visiting my Oma's uh, house and I go in and I tell my dad, I said, dad, I met the man I'm going to marry. And he goes, don't jump too fast, Joni. Like, and um, so anyhow, uh, 
I had kind of, I had asked the Lord a, a while back for some confirmations because I was so scared that I was going to meet somebody that wasn't going to be a good person and all of these things. And so I asked like straight up for some serious requests and, um, no joke, years down the line after meeting Drew, I, I knew he was the man that I was going to marry, but I had asked the Lord years prior that it would be little Rigo would, would be the one to tell me that he's going to be the one I was going to marry. So I was driving down the road and, um, one day he goes, so when are you going to marry him, mom? And I was like, I busted out in like the most ridiculous amount of tears because it was the exact thing that I had asked God. How old's Rigo at that point? He's like four, five. Like he's young. He's a little kid. He's like preschool age. So you asked God for this specific miracle and he uses the four-year-old to do it. Mm -hmm. And here you are, a single mom driving down the freeway, crying, probably not safe to drive. <laughs> the way that God does things is never the way that we can imagine. And we're the ones that put ourselves on our own detours. And God's the one that realigns our path. And so when God realigned the path, it was more beautiful than anything that I could have ever asked God for. Um, yes, there's still challenges. Yes, there's still struggles. But the way that the Lord presented him um to me was just so much different than anything. There's guys that asked me out. It wasn't like I, but I was committed. I had said, I'm not dating you unless you're willing to meet me at church. And that was a huge part in this stuff. And that was after the wedding. Um, I think a week later, the, uh, uh, he asked, he, he's like, oh, you know, do you want to um, hang out? And I said, well, do you want to come to church? And it was actually during that same week. And it was for me, I had already committed that the only way I was going to date somebody is if they met me at church with everybody else that I tried to ask. I, I was like, they didn't meet me at church, so I guess not. And um, I didn't have time. I had two kids and I needed to be able to spend all my time with them. And so uh, I invited him to my family's Bible study up in Placerville, up in, actually it was Folsom at the time. And uh, my dad was there. <laughs> he had no idea. So um, he comes, he shows up and he, I didn't tell him it was at my family's house. Um, <laughs> so he's like, okay. So he meets my whole family and, uh, you know, it's Bible study. And then, um, uh, so we're talking and, and every single day, we've never gone a day with, without talking. And this is short period since the time that we met at the wedding. And um, he invites me to go to his brother's birthday. And um, uh, so I said, okay, well, if you come to church in the, the, um, the morning on Sunday, I'll go to the party with you. But my mom told me to go to the party and she's like, you need to just go. And I was like, okay, well, I go to the party and I don't know what came across me, but he's standing there and I'm looking at him and there's a pool and I don't even know what happened. But all of a sudden I pushed him in the pool with his clothes on and his cell phone in his pocket. I don't know what I was doing. I still to this day can't figure it out. And he, and he gets out of the pool and he wasn't even mad at me. I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. So this guy shows up to your parents' house for a Bible study and you push him in a pool? <laughs> after, after the Bible study. That was a couple days oh, later. That, that's a big difference, Joni. Thank you. Wait, yeah. well, why did you push him in the pool? <laughs> I still don't know. Sounds like something I would have done when I had a crush. You know, I was like, ah, I don't know how to deal with all these feelings. And Well, he was ah. like standing there and then I was looking at him and I was like, and then I just... I was like, why did I do that? I still like, there is nothing that I would have like made me think that I would normally do that. So anyway, that same exact day, um, it, I was like, well, I guess if he, he really likes me, then, you know, he won't stop talking to me. And, um, 
I go home and then I guess he uh, and talks to the friend of ours that was uh, the the bride at the wedding and he gets my phone number again. His phone was broken. So he had to do something with his phone to fix his phone. And um, I was like, man, he likes me. <laughs> so he dances with Annalise at, at the wedding or Annalise at the wedding. He comes to a Bible study, gets pushed in the pool and then goes and finds your phone number again. Uh-huh. This guy's in it to win it. <laughs> I was shocked too. But um, anyhow, he, he calls me in seriously, like every single day, we never went a day without talking. And, um, and then that was like when life started to begin for um, our relationship. And um, before we got married, we were not like, we weren't doing everything right. And, um, but there was something like, uh, we went down to Mexico because he wanted to ask my dad for permission. I was like, you don't have to ask him. He doesn't even live here. And then he's like, no, but I need to. So he, we buy plane tickets. We go down there, we stay there. And of course we're actually living together at this point. But, um, my parents are like, okay, so he's going to sleep in a cot in, uh, the room in, in, uh, the, it's actually a closet. And then I get to sleep in my sister's bedroom with her two kids and, uh, on a giant bed. And, um, that was like a funny story, but like my parents go there and the proposal. So we go there for a marriage, com- uh, we go there and they're in the middle of a week long marriage conference and um, we're there and we go through and it's like 12 hours a day. And, and uh, we were like, I thought we were here on vacation, but, <laughs> and so anyhow, um, we ended up doing some healing while we were there and um, he wrote me a letter and I uh, wrote him and it was an apology of we're doing, we we went about this a little bit wrong. Let's do this. And he wanted to marry me before. We had already bought my my wedding ring and, and everything like that. But we went down there and he sits at the table with my parents at the last night that we're there. And my dad made food. It was uh, ceviche, my favorite dinner. And um, we're sitting around the table. Shrimp or fish ceviche? Oh, fish. Absolutely. Okay. Um But the whole entire table, we're sitting there. But Drew likes the uh, the camarones, okay? Okay. So, okay. Uh, I'm Drew. The, the table, we're sitting there and um, Drew said, I love your daughter. And I love your grandkids and I want to care for them and I want to provide for them. And my dad is crying. My mom is crying. My sister's bawling. I'm crying. I'm like, Jesus. And Drew doesn't cry. He spoke with emotion, but he didn't cry. He, but that emotion that I saw in him was something that was a game changer for me because it was heartfelt and it was so real. And um, it was a commitment. And I was just so blessed. Like the Lord has done so many wonderful things challenges yes but wonderful wonderful blessings and so um we end up uh you know start we were planning our wedding and we get married and um i uh find out i was pregnant with with juliana and so wonderful wonderful um i mean it was just like a surreal you know and so as we start walking through life and um going through all of these scenarios we've had some super incredible um things that have happened along the way. There's many, many, many more testimonies, but when you start giving it over to God and he's the one that starts making your decisions, it becomes a lot easier. Hmm. And I guarantee you, I don't like making decisions. I actually think I'm like, you know what? Just let them decide for me. I like, I'm like, but then, but it's better when God decides. So. Um, Two questions as we wrap up. Two questions as we wrap up. Uh, God said, Hey, five years from now, it's going to be totally different. If, if, how would you describe how your life was different back then? And would five years earlier, Joni believed 
what was going to happen if God had told you everything. So how was it different? And would you have believed God? Five years, we were married. Five years, um, we were um, in a relationship that I would have never dreamed of having. It was far greater than anything that I could have dreamt up or thought of. He is a balance of who I am. He's not who I am. He's who he is, and I am who I am. But he makes me into a better person. He grows me and helps me to mature, and he recognizes things about me and helps me. Um, and I desire so much to do the same for him. Five years, I, I sat there, um, you know, on Elise's like fifth birthday, five years gone by. And I was like, wow, being... I couldn't have ever imagined it. I don't think that anybody ever really knows what it is that God's going to do. But to trust is uh, the whole point. You know, we put our trust in him. And and I feel like if God says he's going to do something beautiful, he's going to do something beautiful. I just couldn't fathom what it was going to be. But I knew that it wasn't going to be anywhere near as w- bad as what it was right then, as long as I kept seeking him out and that he was going to be the one that was going to be the guide and the director of my life. And so that's when, you know, my life just was his. And it is. It is. Doesn't mean I don't do things wrong, but all in the same. It's a beautiful story. Um, our relationship with God is a mystery. Somehow God is at work and we're at work. And I hear you talking about seasons where you're praying and I hear seasons of God doing miracles that you can't believe. If you were going to articulate what it's like when God's doing the work, when you're doing the work, how much of the work is it God doing? How much of it is you're doing? How do you describe the mysterious mm-hmm. interaction between, in a relationship with God, the mysterious interaction between how much God is at work and how much you're at work and kind of how that dance works. Okay, so I would say that um, God does the work, but we have to have our heart in the right place with the right attitude. And um, we do the, uh, the physical, like, you know, you're, you're walking down the road and you're moving one foot in front of the other, but God is moving all of the pieces in front of you. And you're not really just walking out your own life anymore. And it's, it's a different perspective and you desire a better life, but you desire a life that's pleasing to him. And you want to have a life that's going to be something that's going to um, bring people together to let people know that, you know, your circumstance is your circumstance, but um, God's got a greater plan. Even to use your story, it could do something to change somebody's life. And so that's kind of, you know, one foot in front of the other and knowing that God is the, the one that's um, doing the work. The work comes in front of you and he prepares a place. Joni, thank you so much for sharing your story. As I hear, there's some things that have never changed about you. You want to make friends with every stranger you've ever met with from whether it be uh, in a grocery store when you're growing up or when people walk in the doors of our church or you meet someone at the school or the park. But some things have changed. You went from telling yourself a story. If people knew the real me, they wouldn't love me. I had to hide that to the, let me share my story, my strengths, weaknesses, my beauty and brokenness with the whole world and know uh, that there's nothing can change uh, the unchanging love of Jesus. So thanks so much for sharing your story. Can I share one last tiny thing? Sure. Okay, so um, one thing that um, has to come of all of this is to recognize that God is doing work not only in our personal lives, but he's doing in the life a work of uh, others. And so we had prayed, Drew and I had prayed for our kids and the mistakes that I had made in the past, that he would be able to make a way that their life would be made better. And so the Lord brought... Um, 
a girl into Rigo's life and her name's Lisette and she's an incredible person. And I'm very thankful to have her as a stepmom of my children. And at the same time, the person that Rigo was, he's not anymore. And it is forgiveness in our hearts to recognize that people are someone and then they become something else. And um, Annalise doesn't know the backstory, but she has been blessed with wonderful parents from all four people. So is little Rigo. And so it's a beautiful story to come to a, to a, a pause because God is able to work in everyone's life, not just one individual. So it's beautiful. Praise God. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to the life stories podcast. I hope, as you hear the story that you relate to and say me too, and also say that might be how God is working in my life as well. If you've enjoyed this story, uh, we're going to put a link down to, uh, to reach out to Joni. You can say, thank you for sharing her story. Uh, share something that spoke with you. Uh, if this has been a blessing to you, please, uh, like it, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the best compliment you could ever give us is to share it on social media with your friends or send it to someone who you think needs to hear it. Again, we hope that you found yourself in this story and said, God is working in my life too. We love you. We'll see you next time.